And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Forum Club, the Lakers podcast from The Athletic. I'm Bill Orem, joined by Jovan Buha, who is fresh off an airplane from Sacramento. Just watched the Lakers lose to the Kings, slip back to 500. And Jovan, I only have one question. I think it's going to be the main thrust of our conversation today. What is going on with Russell Westbrook? I thought you were going to ask me if I was as cold as ice. Uh, I was going to tell you I'm a little chilly, but not quite cold. Uh, yeah, it's it's the question of I mean, it's the question of the season. It was the question of the off season. Uh, I just wrote about it last night. I think it like th- th- this is. I, I don't know if this is the nadir of, of Westbrook, you know, of Russ's season, but he is shooting 25 percent over the last four games. And I think we, we have seen a, a difference in his game where he's not turning the ball over as much as he was earlier in the season, at least in this stretch. Uh, but th- there's kind of a passivity to him and a lack of confidence. Uh, and, and there's one possession I highlighted that we asked Frank Vogel about where uh, Austin Reeves drives and has this dump off pass to, to Russ. And he has like a half second to maybe like three quarters of a second to get a layup attempt up and he decides not to and he dribbles the ball out from right under the rim and ends up finding lebron james for a layup uh lebron you know smartly cuts to the basket gets a layup and you know on paper that's a success the lakers scored and uh russ got an assist but if you're kind of looking at the process of it you know russell westbrook catches the ball under the basket has a point blank layup um, you know, holds the ball, the, 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 the Kings collapse on him. And then he decides to dribble it out and find LeBron. But like, you just kind of progressively saw that, um, you know, he only took a few shots in the second half of that game, ended up going two for 14. Uh, so I, I think, you know, like the, you had the whole sound effect thing, which was just, uh, it's called music. Hilarious. Like it's, a, it was... it's a clip from a song. A sound effect is like a, a symbol. Well, crash. sure, sure. But semantics aside, it was hilarious. A drum roll. Um, yeah, it, it was, and at first I, I thought it was just the, an intro thing. <laughs> sure, I, 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 but it, it's too wordy to say like a clip from a song that just doesn't. It, it's, it's not, it's, but it's not I a sound know. effect. Like we just, we just have the, the nomenclature here matters. Like it's not a sound. It's, it's, it's they, they, they play, they play a lick. They play, they played a lick. Okay, they played a lick. Um, the the lick from the song was designed to troll Westbrook. Unfortunately, I wish this was Westbrook specific. But this is a recent thing uh, from talking to some people that were that covered the Kings. Uh, this has been a recent thing over the past few games that they've been playing with different sound effects to uh, like they, they pick an opponent pregame and they troll that player. Uh, I guess recently one of them was Laurie Markinen, which is pretty random. Uh, but but Russ, I mean, it was just so appropriate with the way that he had been struggling entering this game, uh, you know, over the previous three games and kind of just the whole season he's had and it was like it, it felt like every miss it was growing louder and, and louder and, and just the weight of the moment um and uh, again like it, we're now 42 games in the season and i feel like we've had the same 
conversation about Russ this entire time. And like, there's been some progress. He had that good stretch from end of November through end of December. Uh, but he has not lived up to the, the, the billing of being a third star. He is at this point, a role player who has had some effective moments, but he's a role player that's making over $40 million. And as long as he continues to produce at that level, uh, the Lakers are not going to win a championship. They're not going to contend for a championship and uh, it, it's not pretty. So, uh, I mean, I don't mean to be harsh, but we we have a 40 game sample at this point of Russ and his limitations. And it's exactly what we thought. And I think for the Lakers, it's been pretty frustrating. You know, so Russ is eight of 40 from the field over his last three games. Um, you know, and like you said, you know, turnovers have been down only four turnovers in his last four games, uh, which actually comes off on the heels of that nine turnover game he had uh, against Minnesota. You know, it does feel like there is like an overcorrection on on Russ where, you know, he had four turnovers uh, or excuse me, he had four straight triple doubles starting on Christmas. And then since then. Um, he's become you know pretty ineffective uh, since then, and it, it really does swing dramatically back and forth. And the Lakers have this hope that you know you kind of ride that those waves until the playoffs, and then in the playoffs you have you know three guys that you know opposing teams ha- absolutely have to guard. Um, you know can't can't give up the drive to Russ, and then you can't come off of LeBron, AD, maybe Malik's in that lineup. Um, and, you know, that in theory is pretty dynamic. You do understand how the Lakers talk themselves into Russell Westbrook, um, even though I think most of us were like, eh, that's maybe a bigger gamble than you need to take last summer. Um, but I just, I don't know where they go from here. You know, the Lakers have figured something out with LeBron James playing at center. Like, that seems to be something that that is working for them right now. I think, you know, once you get Anthony Davis back, he's the five. That's kind of what we envisioned at the beginning of the year. Um, you know, maybe we give them a little, we allow a little time to see what that looks like. We saw it a little bit in November, but that was before the Lakers were at full strength. They were still playing Kent Bazemore. Now they have Taylor Horton, excuse me, now they have Trevor Ariza. They have Austin Reeves playing at a really high level. He had a great game in Sacramento, hit some big shots. And they'll theoretically have Kendrick Nunn back at some point. So we'll we'll at least see the group as the Lakers imagined it. But I don't look at this Lakers team and say they are a Trevor Ariza away or a Kendrick Nunn away from being a championship team. I mean, you put Kendrick Nunn on, you know, your average 21 and 21 team and that team finishes 41 and 41. You know, he's he's a difference making player, but he doesn't elevate you to the next tier. Um, So... Where the Lakers go from here with Westbrook, I don't, I don't really know the answer because they've backed themselves into a corner. Um, they, they, he's not a tradable player. I know there is some, you know, some chatter about whether or not the Lakers could move him. Um, you know, that is not feasible in my mind. I don't see a landing spot. I don't think any other team is willing to take on the contract or the baggage. And the Lakers, you know, used up all their tradable assets to get Russ. So they, you know, not only did they, you know, t- take a gamble on him, but it was a gamble that they then were completely locked into. Um, I don't know where they go from here. And I don't know that they can salvage this over the next, you know, few months. And then also next summer, or excuse me, and next season, because this does feel like kind of a doomed marriage that the Lakers are kind of stuck riding out until, um, you know, until at least next season. Um you know, but what are you going to do? Buy him out next year after the trade deadline? Trade him at the trade deadline for some assets? I mean, if the, anybody wants to take that on, like, it just is not, you know, it's not a, it's not a recipe for 
for winning right now with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And I just don't, I don't really see a path forward. I don't really know if there is a way that you can maximize Russ at this point. You know, you go back to early in the season, our colleague Sam Amick wrote about uh, potentially bringing Russ off the bench. That's not a conversation that, you know, has been had a lot since then. Um, You know, maybe that makes sense in theory, but you're also dealing with a player who, you know, is a first ballot Hall of Famer, has been an all-star 10 or 11 times in his career. I don't know how Russell Westbrook would respond. Um, you know, to, to to something like that, even if it schematically um, makes sense. And does it make enough of a difference on the floor to risk losing him and the good things he does provide? Um, because, you know, while he's not a, you know, maybe he's not the perfect player, um, you don't want him to just disappear because he, you know, handles, a, he carries a significant portion of the load for the Lakers. So um, you're right, it's a conversation we've been having, but do you see any path, you know, Forward, do you do you think that the small ball, you know, uh, lineup that the Lakers have committed to offers any hope with Westbrook, or is this? And and listen, like I'm a fairly skeptical person in general. Like I see a team, you know, go 500 through the first 42 games. I don't see, you know, a real path to them being, you know, 10, 15 games over 500 over the last 40. Am I wrong? Where are you at on this? I think the biggest point of optimism for me at this point is how bad the West has been. And I really think aside from the top four of Golden State, Phoenix, Memphis now, who's up to three, and Utah, like, I think the Lakers can beat any of those other teams. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if like if Denver beat them in the first round, if, if Dallas, if, if the Clippers get healthy, get Paul, you know, Paul George and Kawhi back, like, sure, those teams can can beat the Lakers in, in the first round. I wouldn't be, like, shocked, but I also wouldn't be shocked if the Lakers beat them. And it's just, hey, they have LeBron and AD and that's hard to play against in a seven-game series. Uh, those top four, I think, have distanced themselves. I think even Memphis, who I, I think it's, it's taken a while for people to really view them as a top-four team in the West, but like they, they've proven themselves, and they've proven themselves against the Lakers. But I, I would say, I guess, the rest of the West being so meh gives me optimism of like if the Lakers can you know get AD back within the next week or two, because Friday is the four-week mark, uh, and, and start to make some noise even with a tougher schedule like they can get into the five seed you know five six range and i think potentially you know make the second round depending on the matchup But listen to what you're saying and that is a monumental failure on from a team management standpoint this team won the championship two years ago okay and i'm not saying that last year that they i'm not saying that they should have just kept that group like completely intact but they had a recipe that worked two years ago they had a recipe that worked two years ago, and here they've managed to somehow um, get worse each year since, and also um, back themselves into even more of a corner where they have less flexibility to rebuild the team. So they they have really failed on two counts since the 2020 title team. Um, and the idea that you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis and that you then go all in for a third superstar and that team's going to get to the second round, that's not good enough. That's not good enough for what you are starting with. It's like being it's like it's like being born on third base and getting thrown out at second. Like it just it doesn't even make sense. You know the the Westbrook trade unless something I mean changes it never made sense. It was a miscalculation and it was a miscalculation yeah. on multiple levels because Russell Westbrook as a player, you know, listen, he's easy to there there are certainly mockable qualities to his game, but if you had Russell Westbrook at ten million dollars. We're not having this conversation because Russell Westbrook at $10 million, you also have KCP and Alex Caruso on the team. 
You know, you're not trading first round picks. You know, the Lakers are backed into a corner now where, um, you know, he's taking up you know a third of their of their total cap space. You know, just by virtue of being on the team, they can't go sign anybody for more than the the mid level exception in any given summer, and that um, makes him a real problem. And that's and that's what the Lakers should have realized when they were considering bringing him on. Um, you only do that to yourself. You only hamstring yourself like that if it means you're going to win a championship or you're going to be in a great position to win a championship. Um, and I don't think that anyone really looked at this and said the Lakers have 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 distanced themselves from the field in the West. Now, what are they right now, Jovan? Seventh, eighth in the West? I don't think anybody saw that either. Uh, I, think, I think they're seventh. I don't think anybody saw that either. And you can point to the injuries to AD and LeBron to the issues their depth have endured. Tied for seventh. Yeah. Um, I think I probably had them in at second in the West coming into the year, um, just believing in the talent and the spacing around LeBron and and Russ, which really has been up and down this year. It hasn't been as good as we kind of thought it looked on paper. But like I still didn't think this was a team that was going to get over the hump. Maybe could get to the finals with some luck, but wasn't I didn't see getting past, you know, those 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 top teams in the East even. So to me, it was a big gamble to get kind of close to being a title team, but not getting all the way there. Whereas, you know, what they did, what what's proving to be is this massive move, this massive commitment that locks you into place and you're not even close to a title. I mean, you're saying, I think they could be a second round team. That's a complete failure. And it's, it's, it's essentially dereliction of duty by the front office if you're going to have... Um, if you're going to have the kind of talent to start with that you have in LeBron and Anthony Davis, and then in successive years surround them with players who uh, you know make the make the finished product worse, do I think the Lakers should have should have uh, stuck with the exact roster from 2020? No, they couldn't have. I mean, Rondo was going to leave. Um, they needed another ball handler next to LeBron. Uh, the Schroeder deal made sense, but the failure there is not getting anything for Schroeder before he leaves. You lost a first-round pick and Danny Green, and Schroeder leaves as an unrestricted free agent for, for the mid-level. You bring in Montrez Harrell, a guy who you know was had, was off the Sixth Man of the Year award, but um, had been played off the floor in the playoffs, and you know doesn't play in the playoffs for you. You get ex- you get uh, drawn in by the allure of Mark Gasol, only to sour on him quickly. Um, bring in a replacement that's even worse. And all the while, you know, the bigs that you had won a championship with, um, JaVale McGee and, and Dwight Howard, you know, are basically gone on contracts that you could have easily afforded. So last year, that's how they set themselves back. And then you have a complete overreaction to a first round exit when you didn't need a third superstar. LeBron might think he needed a third superstar. What you needed was better balance. And you needed your and you needed your nine million dollar player to be playable in the playoffs. Speaking of Montrez Harrell, you need to be smarter with how you built the team. And and listen, I liked what the Lakers did after the Westbrook acquisition. I thought they did well with their minimums. Um, I I liked the Kendrick Nunn signing for what it was. Um, I didn't like them letting Alex Caruso go. Um, something I think has 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 um, proven to be a mistake. But you know, once you make the Westbrook trade, okay, I like Ariza. I like Malik Monk. I like Ellington. Um, bringing Dwight back makes sense, but the constant, you know, rearranging of of strategy and priorities just doesn't make sense when you consider that the Lakers had something that worked. So that's one. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear 
courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobeUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, we are in the middle of January. The trade deadline is a month away. We've talked about this before. We know what the Lakers have to work with. Russell Westbrook is not getting traded. Do the Lakers make a move? And if so... Are, do you do you have an idea of what it would be? Are you drinking any of the Kool-Aid on a Jeremy Grant or Miles Turner deal? Do you think uh, the Taylor Horton Tucker Kendrick Nunn package is getting you an impact player? Are you how willing are you to include the twenty-seven pick to get an impact player? Let's talk trade deadline. So I just did a a mock uh, trade with James Edwards. Uh, the third, our Pistons beat writer, and he asked me for a hypoth- uh, hypothetical Jeremy Grant trade. I gave him THT, Kendrick Nunn, Kent Bazemore, and the 2027 first-round pick. And I, I kind of hedged with the pick saying that I think the Lakers would obviously try to protect it uh, at a minimum, maybe like a top three or top five protection. Uh, the Pistons would obviously try to push back and say, like, you know, we don't even know what we're getting with THT necessarily, and, and we're giving you a you know respectable uh you know two-way uh starting forward in, in jeremy grant so borderline all-star i mean if i'm the lakers I'm, I'm going all because i think you you've been all in right and, and you might only have i mean I, I know lebron is continuing to defy father time and like there, there's no sign of real you know slippage from him but you realistically like maybe have two additional years after this year if you're even including this year as like a contention year. So like if, you know, to me, Jeremy Grant fits in great with the, with the new identity. He's someone that can play the three, the four or the five, uh, you know, like he can take some of those uh, Stanley Johnson minutes, some of the mellow minutes, some of the Trevor Ariza minutes. Uh, he can play next to LeBron and AD. Uh, again, I think he could play some five in, in some smaller second unit lineups. Uh, he, he gives the team size, length, athleticism, He's grown a lot as a shooter and a scorer, and defensively, we, you know, he, he's always been a, a solid defender. Uh, so to me, Jeremy Grant, uh, I think he's a little overrated overall as a player, but given the state of, of where the Lakers are and what they need, I do think he would fit in seamlessly. I think THT has been so up and down this year, and just ultimately, at the end of the day, he is a ball-dominant player who cannot shoot, and the Lakers already have two ball-dominant players one of whom cannot shoot in Russell Westbrook. Uh, and you've, you've seen Frank kind of get creative recently where he staggered Russ and THT a lot. And that's fine, but you can only do that so much because you know Russ played 38 minutes last night. So are you only playing Taylor 10 minutes a night? And then those minutes that Russ and Taylor are playing together, it's just, it's not a great fit. And especially if they're both playing with LeBron, like you're just you know playing a lot of ball dominant guys who can't necessarily shoot. So I, I do think Taylor is expendable. I, I think, I kind of felt that going back to last summer, which is why I said, you know, I, I would pick Alex Caruso over Talon if, if they had to choose. And and who knows, you know, if they flip him for Jeremy Grant, Miles Turner, maybe retaining that asset ends up being worth it. And you, you got a better fitting piece that can maybe push you 
into the contention conversation or or at least the the solid playoff contender con, uh, conversation, which Lakers currently aren't in. Um, so if I'm the Lakers, I am going after Miles Turner, Jeremy Grant, whatever players out there that is a tall, long, athletic front court player that can shoot and, and play multiple positions. Uh, there aren't many of those guys out there. The asking prices is high. And I think it is going to include Taylor Horton Tucker and the 2027 pick. And if you're the Lakers, you are potentially mortgaging your future because you don't know what your roster is going to look like in 2027. But you are all in. I mean, you, you have LeBron James is a once in a generation, once ever, you know, player. And if you want to win a champ, another championship with him, I think you have to make a move like this because I think standing pat, they are primed for a first or second round exit with the way everything is headed. You can only do it if you're getting a true impact player. You can't do it for uh, Jeremy Grant, I agree. But also, if that deal gets the Lakers Jeremy Grant, I would be stunned. Like, that does not move the the needle for me at all if I'm Detroit. I mean, I Taylor Horton Tucker, as John Hollinger has noted, is only te- under team control for one more season. So you're essentially getting 18 months of, of, of THT. Nobody knows if Kendrick Nunn can play. And there's an option on him anyway, so he's really just about the money. And then you're talking about a pick that's six years away, which you know could be great. But at the same time, the Lakers have to start valuing draft picks a little bit because that is one less asset you now have to improve your team meaningfully going forward. You know they have been so willing to include first rounders to accelerate trade talks that they really have put themselves in a position where they only have this 2027 pick to offer. And four or five years from now. When they don't have LeBron, they don't have Anthony Davis, they're going to need those picks to make the deals to bring in whoever it is five or six years from now. Like those are assets that you need. So to start being willy nilly with picks that are five, six years down the road, I agree with you. If you have a way to meaningfully like become more of a contender this year, you do it. But you don't do it to go get Terrence Ross. Sure. No, I I agree with that. You've got to be getting a guy who dramatically changes the complexion of your title hopes. And to be honest, there is a gap in what we're talking about. Like the kind of player the Lakers need to be able to get to include THT and the first is not the kind of player you can get for THT in the first. Because those two things have way more value to the Lakers than they're going to have to almost any other team in the league. So I don't see any of those deals getting done. And I think, you know, the Lakers could do some things around the margins. Obviously, they're going to man the buyout market, whether that's, you know, is Eric Gordon going to be available? You know, some of those other guys in that mix, you know, whether, you know, Gary Harris, Tristan Thompson, you know, those are the kinds of guys who could be on the market. And the Lakers, you know, clear up a roster spot, sign one of those guys, bolster the depth. They are not getting you that much closer to a championship. You know, they're not moving into the starting lineup. One thing I would say um, about, uh, about trade pieces and guys who, you know, could be on the move. This is purely speculation on my part. But if I'm any team talking to the Lakers about a package of uh, THT, Kendrick Nunn, and a first-round pick, I'm not taking Kent, ba- Kent Bazemore as, as, the, as the minimum throw-in. I want Austin Reeves. And I don't think the Lakers should trade Austin Reeves. I don't think they should be eager to trade Austin Reeves. But, you know, if you're, if you're trying to sweeten a package to get a deal to get a true impact player— you know, that you might have to have some conversations about including him in a trade um, as instead of Kent Bazemore or DeAndre Jordan. So that's something to watch, too, because, like, you know, when we talk about who the Lakers have, who teams could even potentially be interested in, he's at least more appealing. Um, I mean, frankly, Austin Reeves might be more appealing than Taylor Horton Tucker to me right now. He doesn't have the same upside. He doesn't have the same tools, but he's certainly more uh, 
he's he, he seems more ready right now, frankly, than THD has with his ups and downs. So I mean, he's been better than THD recently. Yeah, he has been. That's not even as we get closer to the trade deadline. I mean, he was incredible in Sacramento, but as we get closer to the trade deadline. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if you hear that teams are going to you know, want Austin Reeves included in any of those packages when we're talking about a, a true impact player like a Jeremy Grant coming back. To me, the, the, the Westbrook trade, although it has always been somewhat misguided and, and just, again, like if, if we were, however you wanted to determine a star and, and that's just kind of an, you know, a, a, an amorphous concept, right? Westbrook was always like, aside from, I mean, we, we've said this on this podcast, podcast before, Aside from maybe Ben Simmons, like Westbrook was always the worst fitting star in the NBA alongside LeBron and AD, just because already like comparing LeBron and AD to other star duos, they are light on the shooting side. You know, AD has struggled all season from uh, from beyond the arc and, and even, you know, his jumper has not been as reliable as in years past. And LeBron is posting another career best shooting season, but he you know, kind of remember last season, he had that really hot start and then tailed off uh, towards the end of the season. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens again, given the workload that he's had to carry on both ends. So, uh, you know, like LeBron and AD, it, it's not Stephen Clay, right? It's not Katie and Kyrie. Uh, it's not Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Like they, they are not 39, 40% three-point shooters on, on high volumes of attempts. And maybe LeBron has, has finally become that, but um you know, that that's still kind of TBD. So I think adding a guy like Westbrook, who's shooting 28.8% on threes this season, uh, just never really made sense. And like, I know the Lakers won playing smash mouth basketball, but you know why they also won? Because Anthony Davis shot a career high percentage on jumpers and KCP and Rajon Rondo and Alex Caruso all shot over 40% in, in the bubble. And like, uh, from beyond the arc like they didn't just win because they were huge and, and really good defensively they won because they made threes and they spaced the floor and their role players really contributed and that was kind of the opposite of last season when, when they really struggled from deep but uh, I, I just thought you know again like it, it never made sense and I think there's been a revisionist history of like well you know we kind of saw why they did the trade but like it's not really working out it's like no that there was really never any like like you had to talk yourself into the Westbrook trade it wasn't an obvious like you know, th- this is why the Lakers did it. Like, you know, I, I just, I don't know. And, and to me, I, I think the, the the thing that's disappointing is we just continue to have the same conversations with this team. And it, it's like, okay, we're, we're 10 games in, we're 20 games in, even we're 30 games in. Because there's only one, there's one standard. There's one, there's one bar by which this team needs to be measured. So Austin Reeves having a nice game in Sacramento it only matters in the context of, does it get them closer to a championship? And the answer is no, because the anchor that is holding them back is greater than the than, than the positives you see around the fringes. So if you can be super in the moment and look at it as, hey, let's just appreciate a few things about the Lakers. I have things I can appreciate about the Lakers. I appreciate, I appreciate Austin Reeves. And that is a story that has brought, um, has been a pleasant addition to the Lakers' arc this season but does it matter does it affect does it does it does it um does it fit in with the the overwhelming um theme of this season winning a championship it doesn't right now you know he is a player who i think could help the lakers on on a championship run like which i think is just an astonishing statement considering where we started with him and the fact that he started the year on a two-way as an undrafted rookie but the only conversation about the Lakers is, are they in position to win a championship this year? The answer is no. 
Why not? It's because they made this trade for Russell Westbrook. That is the only thing that matters with the Lakers this year. So we keep having the same conversation because it is the only conversation that matters. Yeah. And I guess like just to add to that, like I, I, you know, I highlighted a couple plays from last night where it's like, I do think overall Russ, Russ has progressively played better. Like he had a really rough start to the season. Those first two, three weeks, he was not very good. And he's still had stretches where he's been not very good. But I think overall he's been a plus. It's just not a plus that, you know, like he's not been even an Alex Caruso level plus in my opinion. Like he, you know, he's, he's, he's helped, right. But he's not helping at $40 million level. And that's the the standard at which he's judged. And I think like, you know, some people might think that's unfair, but Hey, that's what he's getting paid. And he was brought in here to be the third guy. And he's not been, he he's not been a third star. Don't even think of it as money, right? People, people get very sensitive because you say, Oh, it's $40 million and it's money. And like, you know, stay out of Russell Westbrook's wallet. Think of it as building blocks. Think of it as Legos. You know, you have 100 Legos with which to build your castle. Well, you've got 70 million Legos tied up in, you know, building, a, you know, a half of a castle. And then you have this other 40 million Legos to build the other half of the castle. But those Legos are just scattered in a pile somewhere in another in another room. And now you don't have any other Legos to build your castle. Yeah, no, but like, I just felt like last night there, there was a bit of not even a regression because he still continued to do this, but you just saw the the downside of having Russell Westbrook on your team where like even, okay, two for 14, like sure. There, there are some stars that will have some rough shooting nights like that. Like not LeBron, Le- LeBron, even Le- LeBron had a bad shooting night last night. He still put up 34, seven and six. Like LeBron is just, you know, such a unique guy. But I, I think with Russ, it's like, okay, so sure. Two for 14, but the context of the two for 14, I think is important because he took so many bad shots it at momentum, uh, like momentous parts of the game. So you, you have the the second quarter. The Kings are going on this run. Lakers are up uh, fourteen with a few minutes left. Kings go on this run to end the quarter, and Russ takes uh, a pull up three, bad shot. Kings go back to in transition score. End of the third quarter. The Kings have this monster run. Uh, you know, go from again trailing by double digits or around double digits to taking a near double digit lead. And it's this really important stretch of the game. And what does Russell Westbrook do? Dribbles up, takes a uh, pull-up three-pointer with 18 seconds left on the shot clock. Kings are up six at that point. Uh, I think there's there's around 40 seconds left when he takes it. He's trying to go for a two-for-one, which in theory is good, but not when you're a 28% three-point shooter. Uh, Kings go back down, score. They go into the fourth, up 11. And then end of the game, Lakers are down four. Uh, they run a really weird play. I, I don't really know what exactly they were looking for. It was basically Russ isoing, and then Malik Monk tried to set a screen from him. Uh, like nothing really happens, and Russ takes a wide open three because the Kings want him to shoot. Uh, with six seconds left on the shot clock, misses that, and it's just that's kind of it, right? Like you can envision those scenarios happening in the playoffs where the Lakers are playing the Suns. Somehow it's a close game in this hypothetical, and the Suns are just like, all right, Russ, shoot, like go ahead, take the three. And do you have confidence in Russ making that shot? No. And, and maybe he makes it like, you know, every once out of every three times. But uh, it's just, I feel like we, we keep seeing these like actual scenarios of, of how high stakes moments can play out for the Lakers. And when Russ is involved, it's rarely positive. And, and that's been the story of his career. Like he, he is historic. I mean, he still put up numbers in the playoffs, but in the biggest moments, he has not come through and, and you know, has been a liability when teams can game plan for him. So I just think that that's kind of where I'm at, where 
Um, I think overall he's played better. His shot selection has been better. But last night, there were several key moments where he took really horrible shots. And, and he tried to justify it after saying, oh, well, there was four seconds left on the shot clock, and that's why I took it, and, and nothing else was open. But, like, I mean, that's partially on the Lakers. I don't know why they had Russ running that play instead of LeBron, and, and they, they could have maybe done something better offensively there. But I also just think, like, Russ settling for a, a contested or, or open three at any point of a game that, that that's critical, like, it's just bad offense. And to little surprise, he didn't make any of those shots, and it benefited the Kings. And I, I don't know, it just... There's something about last night that that really was like a tipping point for me where I, I just I think I hit my breaking point with some of this stuff where I'm like, I, it just uh, it, it, I don't know. It sapped my optimism, like whatever optimism I had left, I, I kind of currently have sapped uh, with, with with just the situation. And I, I you know, I, I'm I've been looking for silver linings and I feel like I, I just can't find any. It's hard to put it much more clearly than that. There's 40 games left in the season. I think you would say that we feel much worse about where the Lakers are right now than we did at this stage last year. There obviously weren't 82 games last year, but you know, in the middle of the year last year, the Lakers had issues, right? Like they were they were really banged up. AD was out. Uh, LeBron, you know, ended up missing quite a bit of time with the ankle injury. But I think there was a confidence, even going into the play-in, that the Lakers could could make a run because they that we had seen it. We had seen them look really good for an extended period of time. They started the year really well. I don't recall the record, but you know they were at or near the top of the West. I think they were second in the West when LeBron sprained his ankle, and that was in March. Um, and then the free fall began. And so we'd seen them beat good teams. We'd seen teams struggle with them. We haven't seen the Lakers beat good teams this year. We've seen them beat a couple of good teams when they weren't very good. We saw them beat Memphis at the beginning of the year. We saw them beat Miami when Jimmy Butler didn't play after halftime. We saw them beat um, Cleveland, uh, you know, kind of early in the year. Um, Dallas without Luka when Austin Reeves hit the, hit the three. But the thing about those games is they're good on paper because they're against teams that are, you know, above 500. There's, those are their only wins against teams above 500. There's one other one that I'm forgetting. Um, but those Charlie. those in context, which one is it? Charlotte, I think. Charlotte. In context, yeah. those games all um, come with caveats. Either the other team didn't have their star or the Lakers only squeaked by. Um, they don't look like a championship team, Jovan. They haven't looked like a championship team at all this year. And I don't know, of a, I can't think of a situation where we saw a team go from being so completely mediocre at the midpoint of the season to being a championship contender. I mean, like, I'm writing a story about Elgin Baylor right now for our Top 75 countdown, and the Lakers made the finals in 1959 with a 33-39 and 39 record. There were eight teams in the league. Really, the only thing you can hold on to is that part of this team, and it, there's nothing, like, actually tangible that, that you know, from the season that we've seen, but it's basically this team won a championship two years ago. They have the same head coach. They have the same two best players. And those two best players, when they're at the top of their game, are both top 10 guys that are capable of dominating a series. And, and you know, we, we saw that in the 2020 run. We, we did see stretches of that from LeBron in that Phoenix series. Even AD had some moments before he went down. So, like, that is all you can really hold on to, though. You can't hold on to anything that's happened in this season. And I think it's like, if, if you are, you know, if you have that championship DNA with this roster, you would have, I would like to just see them beat a good team 
and it just be like, hey, we, even if it's like, hey, we made 23s tonight and had like an, a, an unrealistic shooting night, like because it, it's been like the opposite where it's like, oh, we lost to this team, but like we didn't have this guy and this guy. So like that's our excuse. It's just a bunch of excuses where like I, I want to see them actually like, you know, be greater than the sum of your parts and, and actually overachieve instead of continuing to underachieve and like go beat some good teams without Anthony Davis. And, and, and you know, even with kind of not having your full roster, like if you just lose all those games against good teams, like, I, I don't know. I, I think, I just think at some point that matters and um, yeah. maybe that's too reductive and, and simplistic. And like, you know, we're looking at it the wrong way, but like, to me, I, I look at their schedule and I do not see really any impressive wins this season. And, and that to me is discouraging because we're halfway through the season. Yeah. I mean, their, their win against Atlanta was impressive. Like we're talking about a win against an Atlanta team with a, with a losing record as impressive. So you said they need to be good teams. They're going to have lots of opportunities over the next couple of weeks. If you're still with us, if you've made us this, this even the podcast, you probably already know this, but in the next couple of weeks, the Lakers are going to play the Nuggets, the Jazz, the Heat, the Nets, the 76ers, the Hornets. They're going to play the Clippers. They're going to play the Bucks. They're going to play the Warriors. Then they're going to play the Jazz. They're going to play all those teams between now and the trade and, and and the All Star break. There's only in that span. There's only a few games against bad teams: Blazers, Knicks, Blazers twice, Hawks, Magic, Pacers. That's it. Everything else is against a team that is damn good, and those are not games the Lakers have been winning. So um, you're right. They haven't. They haven't done it. We haven't seen them do it. They're going to have opportunities to do it. Um, there's just no reason to believe. And the reason people do believe in in the Lakers, and the reason people like can't close the book on on this team, and the reason that I'm guessing that you still can't get very good odds on the Lakers to win the championship, like I'm, I'd be, I need to check what the what the current lines are, but I bet that the odds aren't that favorable to bet on the Lakers win a championship, is because of LeBron James, and because we've seen LeBron do so much. And we've seen him carry bad teams so deep into the playoffs. We've seen him get. We've seen him get to the finals with bad teams. And the conventional wisdom has been: if you have LeBron James, you always have a chance. Here's the problem, Yovan. Two of the last three years, we've seen the Lakers have LeBron James and not win a playoff series. So I do think the logic of "oh, they have LeBron, that's enough" has been proven incorrect, at least with the Lakers. So I think some of the that confidence has to have faded. So it's a bleak time. It's been bleak most of this season. You know, there will be things along the way that, you know, we, we talk about that are maybe more positive. There will be wins, we assume, along the way. But we are not at that point of the year right now. So on that just really uplifting note, I am going to bid adieu to you and you and you. Yovan, uh, thank you for joining us after traveling back from Sacramento. Great story about Russell Westbrook that touches on all the stuff that we've been talking about here today coming off that Kings game. They do play again on on Saturday in Denver. I will be there. And then Jovan and I will both be back east for that big road trip. So we'll be coming to you again and again. Um, thank you for following along with the Forum Club, reading our stories on The Athletic. And also, if I have not plugged it yet, Jovan, I need to do it now. Stargazing on the NBA show from The Athletic. Jovan talking to some of the most creative minds, influencers, working in and around the NBA. Stargazing with Jovan Buha wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you get this podcast. Thank you for listening. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.